0: The scripture reading this morning is from Mark chapter 8, verses 11 through 16, and I'll be using the modern English version. The Pharisees came up and began to debate with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. He sighed deeply in his spirit and said, why does this generation look for a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. Then he left them, and entering the boat again, departed to the other side. Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread, and did not have more than one loaf with them in the boat. He warned them, take heed, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and the yeast of Herod. They reasoned among themselves, saying, this is because we have no bread.
1: Let's pray. Oh, holy God, the creator of all universe, Lord of lords, king of kings, we come to worship you today. We hope in spirit and in truth, calling on you for all the needs of our lives. We know, Father, that you are overseeing us as we walk this life. Many times we get off our path. Father, we're sorry for those things we've done. They might not have been good and wholesome. We ask you, Father, to continue to watch over us as we walk. For this life, sometimes, Father, is hard. We face burdens every day, all of us. Some of us... Don't talk about it. But we know, Father, you're with us each day. That we walk so that we might live for you and honor your Holy Son. Father, we're celebrating tomorrow our Independence Day. We live in the greatest country on the face of the earth. But it was a price that was paid for it. And we ask you to bless those in the military, both men and women, who are stationed all over this world who are trying to protect that independence. We thank you for our leadership in Washington. We don't always agree, but we have people up there that are God-fearing. But we ask you, Father, to be with our leaders there. Father, we know there are people suffering all over this world. In every country in the world, there's probably suffering. Much more so in Ukraine. And Father, we ask as a group, Father, that you would watch over those folks, bring peace to their land, like we have today. Watch over them and those that, are, that they love. Father, we ask you to bless those that are sick. We've heard about Lamar and his family. Such a great man, such a great family. Bless them with the things that they need at the hospital that he might get well, that he'll get to come home and back to worship. Be with James Cross as he might be suffering today. And we ask you, Father, to help him as he tries to recover. All of us have people in our lives who are suffering. We have many people that don't talk about it. But, Father, we know you know who they are we ask you Father to bless them and bless us that we might be a blessing to them. Father, we ask you to bless our leadership, our elders. They have a great job ahead of them. And we ask you to bless them in a special way in their families for they know we know that they have hardships at times themselves. Father, as I continue this prayer, I ask you to be with Andy today as he opens up the bread of life. Andy does a good job, Father. He tries real hard to bring us to a point where we can listen and take these things and put them in our everyday life. We have lost loved ones this week, Father. I can think of the Hawkins family, the Brown family, and others who have lost a loved one. Put your loving arms around them and comfort them as only you know how. And help us to be an encouragement to them. Thank you, Father, for this family of God, this church family that worships here. And we ask you, Father, to bless each and every one. And if there's one in this audience today, Father, who's not a part of our family, we pray that today might be the day that they become a member of our family. Watch over us now, Father, and continue to love us as we love you. In Christ's name, amen.
2: Our next song is... Is in your book, number 173, God of Our Fathers. This song, written in 1876, was shortly after that voted by Congress to be our national hymn of the United States. Most people don't know we have a national hymn, but this is it. God of Our Fathers. Sing all four verses, please.
3: God of our fathers Whose almighty hand Leads forth in beauty all the starry band Of shining worlds In splendor through the skies A grateful song before thy throne arise. Thy love divine. Hath led us in the past. In this free land. By thee our lot is cast. Be thou a ruler the guardian guide and stay thy word our law thy path our chosen way from wars alums, from deadly pestilence be thy strong arm our ever sure defense, Thy true religion John in our hearts increase, Thy bounteous goodness nourish us in peace, Refresh Thy peace all on their toilsome way. Lead Lead us from night to never-ending day. Fill our lives with love and grace divine. And glory, Lord, And praise be
2: ever thine. If you'd like to mark our invitation song today, it'll be number 23. All things are ready. Come to the feast, number 23. After two weeks of camping, we're glad to have Andy Brewster back. I bet he's glad to be back in some air conditioning. Probably be more than he had as well. Maybe his own bed. Before he comes to speak to us, let's sing number 298, I'm Not Ashamed on My Lord.
3: I'm not ashamed to own my Lord or to defend his cause. Maintain the honor of his word, the glory of his cross. Firm as his throne, his promise stands, and he can well secure what I've committed to his hands. Till the decisive hour Then will he own my worthless name Before his father's face And in the new Jerusalem Appoint for me a place
4: Good morning, church family. It's good to see you. Glad that we can be here together and worship our God. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Mark. Mark chapter 8 is where we'll be at today. Uh, Certainly glad that everyone's here. If you're visiting with us, thank you for being our honored guest. We are thankful that you have taken the time uh, out of your week to start your week the best way that you can, worshiping God, and we're glad that we can do it here together. If you don't have a Bible, uh, there are some uh, Bibles in the back of the pew in front of you. There's a black book there, and if you want to use one of those, Mark chapter 8 starts on page 843. So if you want to turn there, uh, please go ahead and do that. Uh, Listen to Jesse's lesson last night, he did a great job talking about the the passage of scripture that he was to cover in Mark chapter 8 as we, uh, Mark chapter 7 as we continue this series we've been doing this summer of who is this Lord we love? Who is this Jesus that we have decided as a Christian, if you're a Christian this morning, you have decided you've named Jesus as your Lord and you have told him that he's the ruler of your life. That he's the one who's going to help you make the decisions, guide your decisions, and that you're going to follow him to the best of your ability. So we want to continue that, thinking about who is this Lord that we love. And we'll do that in Mark chapter 8 here in just a few minutes. We uh, noticed as we walk through the book of Mark that Jesus, in this point of, of scripture, he's traveling across the Sea of Galilee. Uh, from one side of the sea to the other, and he's been teaching on both the, the Jewish side, the western uh, shore of the, uh, the Jordan, where the promised land is, and he's traveled over to the eastern shore, and a couple of chapters before this, in Mark chapter 5, he healed a man there in the Decapolis, or the, this area of, of, of ten cities that were predominantly Greek, uh, predominantly Samaritan, so they may have had, they certainly knew about the Jewish religion, but they weren't Jewish religiously, uh, they may have had some Jewish blood in their their family line, but they weren't followers of the God of the Hebrews. Most of them weren't anyway. But you'll remember probably from a sermon a while ago, and certainly from Mark chapter 5, uh, that he healed a man there. A man who had a legion's worth of demons. He had tons of demons within him, and Jesus heals him. And maybe you'll remember that at the end of that, uh, this man, of course, totally changed. He'd been in, in a, a terrible spot. He'd been living in, in the tombs. He'd been uh, gnashing himself and hurting himself. And, and, and he was so strong that chains couldn't hold him and no one could hold him down. And he's completely changed because these demons finally leave him and he's no longer under their influence. And he wants to go with Jesus. And Jesus says, no, you can't go with me, but what I want you to do is to go back home and to tell people about me. And then we get to Mark chapter 8, where Jesus is going to interact with another large crowd. And we can perhaps make some assumptions here that at least some in this group of thousands of people are here and have heard about Jesus because of this man who used to be with the legion." used to have the legion of demons within him. So that's where we're at now. We're on the eastern shore of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus is there with his disciples, no doubt many of his apostles, but perhaps even more disciples are traveling back and forth with Jesus. And let's start in Mark chapter 8 and verse 1. Hope you have it there. In those days, so during this time, when there was again a large crowd and they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples and said to them, I feel compassion for the people because they have re- remained with me now three days and have nothing to eat. So we see that, that Jesus, again, as, as is happening now, he's not even going into cities. He's not going to where the, the people are. The people are now coming out to him in the wilderness, in the desolate places, by the by the sea. He's not going into cities anymore because it's just too crowded and he wants to be able to talk with people and interact with people and in the cities it's it's just too much so now this large crowd is here we find out later here in just a little while that it's about four thousand people and and they come to Jesus and now they've been with him for three days just think about that they're away from home maybe they've got tents with them Maybe they're just laying on mats on the ground or maybe they're just laying out under the stars uh, completely when, they, when they're sleeping at night. They no doubt brought some food with them, uh, thinking that this was going to be some, some, something like a pilgrimage, that they were going to go and interact with this Jesus who no doubt they had heard about and wondered about and wanted to know more about. But it's been three days and they don't have any food. And Jesus looks on them and he feels compassion for them specifically because of their willingness to stick with him For three days. Verse three. If I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way, and some of them have come from a great distance. So here Jesus is, he's wrapped up his gospel meeting. All right, his his three-day gospel meeting is done, and he's ready to send the people home. Maybe Jesus needs some rest. He certainly recognizes the people uh, need to get home, but he says, but they, they're not going to be able to make it. Some of them have traveled a long way. They haven't eaten in, in a little while now, and, and we're, we're about to send them home, and some of them won't make it because some of them have traveled a, a long distance. You know what that means? Jesus probably at some point in this three-day period, not only while he's, he's preaching, but, but in between his lessons, in between healing people, he's talking to these people. And he says, hey, where are you from? And they say, I'm from this place, I'm from that place. And he recognizes and knows there, some of these people have traveled a great distance. And he's concerned about them. He's worried about them. He doesn't want them uh, to faint on their way home. Notice the, re, the, the apostles, the disciples' response in verse 4. And I want you to think about this, okay? This is one of the most important parts of of this passage, okay? And his disciples answered him, where will anyone be able to find enough bread here in this desolate place to satisfy these people? We're going to get to it in a minute. But I, I can imagine Jesus' response as he probably just looks at them hoping that they will think about the words they're saying. Because in Mark, if you go back a couple of pages, maybe just one page in your Bible to Mark chapter 6, I don't know exactly how much time has passed between what happens in Mark chapter 6 and what is about to happen in Mark chapter 8. But in Mark chapter 6, we read the story of Jesus feeding 5,000. And here, I don't know if this is the same disciples, I don't know if this is different disciples, I, I don't know exactly who's answering the, asking the question here, but, but most of these, or at least some of these disciples, have already seen Jesus do something more than what they're asking him to now. And their response is, now in this instance, how can anyone find enough bread to feed all these people? And I just imagine Jesus, at least in his mind, and we're going to read about it, that he is definitely dumbfounded by their lack of faith, by their lack of understanding that who can find, how can anyone find? And Jesus could have just said, I can. You know I can. I've done it before. Why in the world are you struggling with this lack of faith? So Jesus asked them, hey, how much do you have? What do you got? What do you got? What what do we have to work with? And they find out they've got a, a few fish and a few, a few pieces of bread and, and he feeds 4,000. And it's another amazing miracle. And, and Mark is the gospel of miracles. We, we read about miracle after miracle after miracle. All of these amazing things that God, that Jesus does while he's here on earth. And, and then in, in verse... Um, Verse 9 says about 4,000 were there, uh, and he sent them away. And immediately he entered the boat with his disciples and came to the district of Delmontha, which is on the western shore. So he goes back to the other side of the sea. It's it's almost nonchalant. He feeds miraculously 4,000 people, and then the Bible just says, and he sends them home. And he gets in the boat, and he goes the other side. If we were there, and what I hope... What I hope that we get when we study the Gospels of Jesus, the story of Jesus, the life of Jesus, I hope we, perhaps unlike the apostles here in this instance, we are amazed. We're not, Jesus isn't dumbfounded by our lack of faith, we're dumbfounded by His awesomeness. We stand in awe of Him and we revere Him and we want to worship and adore Him, not only in a worship service, but with our very lives. Look at verse 11, what happens next. So he's gone from the eastern side where he performs this amazing miracle and the Bible just says, and he leaves. No big deal. This is just an average day for Jesus. He does this kind of stuff. He goes back over to the western shore of the Sea of Galilee. Again, this this is the promised land. He's back among the Jews here. And it says, here is what is going on here in verse 11. The Pharisees came out. To this area that he came to, and they began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. Notice they don't just come out to to see Jesus, they don't just come out to uh, hear another lesson from Jesus, they don't come out to hear what he has to say. They come out for the specific purpose of what? They want to argue with Jesus. I think the version that was read to us earlier, they want to debate with Jesus. They are looking for some sort of confrontation, something that they can uh, oppose about Jesus. And Jesus' response is in verse 12, sighing deeply in his spirit. To me, Jesus is just tired of these guys. And he just, <sighs> you guys again, huh? You guys again coming and challenging me and arguing me and seeking a sign from me. It says there that uh, why does this generation, verse 12, seek for a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. Leaving them again, he embarked and went away to the other side. So he, he's just there. With, this could be a matter of moments. Jesus steps out of the boat, it seems like, and there are the, there are the Pharisees and their, 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 their entire uh, body language, the, the words they say, the tone they use, it's just confrontational. And they are seeking to argue with Jesus, to, to, to find some sort of conflict with Jesus. And Jesus just says... I've had enough of you guys. I'm not giving you a sign. And he gets back in the boat and he leaves. Now it could be longer, but, but the way it's presented is he steps out, they they show up, they challenge him. He says, I'm not giving you a sign. And the, the ironic thing is that we have been studying through Mark, and you can look in Matthew and Luke and John. What has Jesus been doing? He's been giving them signs. Over and over and over again, he's been healing people and he's been uh, forgiving sins. He's been doing all kinds of things. He's been giving them signs. In a a similar event in in Matthew, it says that you'll be given no uh, signs except for the sign of Jonah. He was in the well for three days and uh, and came back. And of course, we know that's an allusion to Jesus' resurrection, death, burial, and resurrection. They didn't realize that at the time, but but we recognize that from this point. And then in Acts chapter 2, remember the day of Pentecost when Peter is preaching that first gospel sermon? In Acts chapter 2 and verse 22, it says, This Jesus, the Nazarene, who has been attested to you by God through signs and wonders and miracles. The point is, they're asking for a sign and he's already given them many. They're looking for something that will please them. They're looking for something that will fit their narrative. That will be something that they really want. Leaving them, verse 13, he again embarked and went away to the other side of the sea. And they, verse 14, they the disciples, they some of the apostles no doubt, had forgotten to take bread and did not have more than one loaf in the boat with them. And Jesus, giving them orders, said to them, Watch out! Pay attention! He wants them to hear this. Watch out! Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. Now, I don't know exactly what the, the situation here is. You know, it says in, in the first verse there that we just read, I think verse 14, uh, they, they only took one loaf with them. That's about all they've got. And then Jesus says something about leaven, and leaven is used in making bread. And then from that comment, they say, he's upset with us. We should have brought more bread. What just happened? The last time they were on the other side of the shore, he took just a little bit of bread and fed 4,000. I don't know how many disciples are here on the boat or the boats with them, but it's not 4,000 people. What's the what's the leaven of the Pharisees? What's the leaven of Herod? There, there could be some discussion. We could maybe figure that out and go more in depth to it. But let me summarize it in a, in a broad strokes this way. What's, what is he warning them about? Remember, they're the ones who have just challenged and they want a sign. They want proof that he is who he is, even though he's been giving them ample proof all over Galilee, all around both sides of the Sea of Galilee. He's been providing signs with them. He's been fulfilling Old Testament passages. He's been doing all of it, and they're just either not paying attention, not getting it, or not wanting to get it. And he says, hey, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Let me suggest to you that in broad strokes, this leaven is simply denying God's power, And God's place. Jesus had shown them. Jesus had shown the people who he was. That he was at the very least a man of God. At the very least a a rabbi, a teacher of God's word. And they knew that. But really Jesus had shown them that he was so much more than that. He had forgiven sins at this point. Something that only God could do. He, He had made it known that he was equal with God. And they are denying, the, the leaven of the Pharisees, the leaven of the, of the Herodians, is that they are denying the power and the place of God. And then what happens? His disciples seemingly do the very same thing. They worry about bread. Now, now maybe, let's, let's give them the benefit of the doubt. If I'm going to give the disciples the benefit of the doubt, I know what they're, I know what they're concerned about. They've already had to feed 5,000 with just a little bit of food. They've already had to feed 4,000 with just a little bit of food. So maybe they're thinking, hey, how big's the next crowd going to be? We've got to have some bread. we got to make, make sure we have bread. How many more G- miracles can Jesus do? I mean, does his power run low at some point? I don't, I don't know. Maybe they're concerned. At the very least, the best way that I can think about them and put them in the very best light is they're concerned that they know... That sometime soon, there's going to be more thousands of people who are gathered around who are going to stay with Jesus for a long time, and they're going to be hungry. I don't think that's what they're thinking, but that's the best way that I could put it and put them in a good light. And notice Jesus' responses as he knows in the way that only Jesus can know the things that they're talking about, the things that they're thinking. Verse 17, And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why? Why do you discuss the fact that you have no bread? Do you not see or understand? Do you have a hardened heart? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? Do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? How many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? And they said to him, 12? Verse 20, when I broke the seven for the four thousand, how many large baskets full of broken pieces did you pick up? And I imagine at this point, probably perhaps as they're on the boat crossing the Sea of Galilee and they're having this conversation that they kind of had to sheepishly say, seven? They're recognizing he's reminding them, oh yeah, you are Jesus. You are the one who heals the sick you are the one who performs these miracles you are the one who's already fed the five thousand already fed the four thousand and verse 21 it says and he was saying to them do you not yet understand don't you get it so what's the lesson for us today I'm sure at some point in the near future we'll have a potluck meal, but I doubt Jesus is going to show up and bless the, the bread and the fish and we're going to all eat from, from just a little bit of food. What's the point for us today? The leaven of the Pharisees, the leaven of the Herodians, and the things that Jesus' disciples struggled with here in this passage was that they maybe not denied for the disciples, but they certainly forgot the power and the place and the presence of God. When you worry, what does God tell us to do with our worry? In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, after he's talked about the clothes that we wear and the food that we eat, he says, But seek first God's kingdom and God's righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. Now, this morning, I'm, I'm not here to For those of you who may struggle with anxiety or depression or some sort of clinical worry, I understand that's that's a real thing. And it happens. But I think what happens for God's people much more often is no kind of clinical anxiety, but a lack of faith. A lack of understanding, perhaps. A lack of remembering the things that God has done for you and for us and for His people throughout time. At some point in the past. I want to encourage you the next time that you are worried about anything. Whether it's worried about health. Or worried about money. Or worried about your faith. Or worried about anything that that you have on your mind. And I I know, I know that life is real. And God sends rain on the just and the unjust. and, and, And bad things happen to everyone. I understand there are things to be concerned about. What I want to encourage you is not to worry. Remember what else Jesus says about worry in Matthew chapter 6. Who by worrying can add a single hour to his life. The point is worrying has never helped anyone. Being concerned is a legitimate thing. and something that we should be. We should be concerned about things that are going on in our lives. We should be concerned about people in our lives. But worrying has never helped anything. And maybe even more than that, let's remember that God promises us that he will take care of us. Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. I want you to turn there. I know that you know that passage, but return to Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. I want you to, to notice the words. What, what does God's word say to us in Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, especially at the very beginning of it? Let's notice this. Here, Paul talking to Christians in Rome and talking to Christians here in Cookville today, he says, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose. We know that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose. So two things that I want to really point out. First of all, uh, God causes all things, good things and bad things, to work together for our good and his glory. That is a fact. Because the Bible says that it is. God can use terrible things. God can use great things. And anything that happens in between those two. For our good and for his glory. But did you notice what the first part of the verse said? And we know. I can have confidence in the fact that God is going to use whatever happens in my life. For my good and for His glory. If I love God and I'm called according to His purpose. And all that means to be called according to His purpose is, am I seeking His will? Am I trying to be who God wants me to be? I can know that. I can have confidence in that. I can know that no matter what happens to me tomorrow, God will take me through it. It doesn't mean that it won't be terrible. It doesn't mean that it won't be difficult. It doesn't mean that I won't be sad about it. It doesn't mean that I won't be devastated about it. But it means that God can use all things for our good and for his glory. And that I can know that before it happens. I can know that before it happens. Do you have that kind of confidence in God? Now, we looked at the the disciples and we, we... think i think certainly and i think you would too that jesus when they ask how are we going to feed these four thousand people how in the world nobody can ever no one could find enough bread to do this in this desolate place there's there's no way we look at them we say don't you remember just a couple of chapters ago just a few days ago i don't know how long the time was but but i think i would remember jesus feeding five thousand people and they do because they remember the number of baskets 12 that they took up of extra pieces they remembered it they just forgot it slipped their mind What in your life has been one of those moments? What in your life did you not see a way forward and God provided a way forward? What in your life did you not see a blessing coming from the situation that you were in but God brought a blessing? The next time you're in the middle of a struggle or a trial or a difficulty, remember that time and have faith that God will do it again. Because he said that he will. That's for you as an individual. That's for you as a family. That's for us as a congregation. That's for Christians in this nation and Christians in this world. When we don't see a way forward, when we don't see a blessing possible, remember. Remember, that's what Jesus said. He said to them, don't you remember? Perhaps he would say the same thing to us today. When we think about worry, when we think about doubt, we need to remember the things that God has done for us for us in the past. When we, when we doubt and when we worry that God will act, then we're having that same leaven of the Pharisees or that same attitude the Pharisees and that his disciples struggled with here. We are denying or we are doubting or we are forgetting, failing to remember God's power and God's place. What I want you to encourage you for specifically the next time, and I know some of you this morning is one of those times, whether you have a sick family member or you're going through a financial difficulty or a faith crisis, whatever it is, I know some of us are here today in this room and we are there during a difficult trial. What I want to encourage you to do, whether it's now or, or sometime in the, in the future, I want you to remember the past. Remember what God has already done for you. I want you to remember the promises that God has made to you and the presence of God in your life. And certainly, I want, you to, I want to encourage you to pray. Pray to God that he will help you, and trust that he will. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this morning. Lord, I thank you for this church family. I thank you for the, the Christians that meet here on the corner of Jackson and Jefferson in Cookville, Tennessee. Lord, I thank you for our guests that are here this morning thank you for them taking the time out of their travel or out of their day this morning to be with us here as we worship you. Lord, we we look to the Bible. And Lord, help us to to trust that it's more than just a story. It's more than just a a fairy tale. That some 2,000 years ago, you stood on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. You looked out on a people and you felt compassion for them. You were worried about their physical health. And you fed 4,000 people miraculously. Lord, help us to, to trust in that. To trust that this thing that seems impossible really happened. Lord, help us to remember times in our lives where maybe it wasn't miraculous, but it was certainly divine that you acted in our lives, that you brought about good things in our lives when we could not see a way forward. And Lord, help us to remember those the next time That we don't see a way forward. The next time that failure comes our way. The next time that difficulty rears its ugly head. The next time that Satan tries to distract us from who you are. Thank you for being a good God. A good Father. A good Savior. Help us to trust in you and love you always. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. This morning, do you trust? Do you believe that Jesus is the resurrected son of god if you're willing to believe that and confess that not only with your words but also with your actions then you can be baptized into christ for the remission of your sins if you're interested or this morning if you're if you're in a state spiritually or emotionally where you don't see a way forward where you don't see a blessing possible there is a way forward and it's through the blood of jesus jesus says he's the way the truth and the life. And no one can get to the Father except through Him. If you want to come to Jesus this morning, whether you're a Christian who's wandered away or someone who's never put on Christ in baptism, and even more important than that idea, someone who's never claimed to be a follower of Jesus, we want to encourage you and help you to become those things this morning. If you have any needs at all, we invite you to come as we stand and sing.